Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. All right, Matt. So when is a bear not a bear? Hmm. I don't know. When it doesn't have the right qualifications. Oh, God. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you going, mate? <laughs> Lord, are we going to have to do this all night? We just might. <laughs> it's like this weird Australian cockney thing he's got going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I can't so. get it. I can't get it nailed down. I, it's like I'm jumping continents. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest. I, I had a pretty crappy day. Oh, yeah. But. But I'm telling you, getting in here and getting set up and, uh, you know, shooting the bull with you before we get going, it, it always makes my day a little bit better. I oh, feel yeah. better. I feel better when I'm when I'm doing this. So, so you know, thanks, everybody, for yeah. continuing to listen because you helped my day. Right. <laughs> it's crazy how that happens, but I'm with you. It uh, kind of turns a day around if it's not going going well. Um, so real quick, we wanted to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find other shows to listen to and tricks and tips on how to record your own podcast. And we're we're proud to be part of the Podbelly Network. Um, also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Best Fiends, Acorn TV, and Manscaped, who we will talk a little bit more about here in just a while. Um, and real quick, wanted to say thanks to Freya for sending us all of the postcards that she sends us. Um, I can't show y'all pictures of them because they're in SFW. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they're hilarious, and so we wanted to say thank you to Freya for continuing to send us those. It's nice to get them on every now and then, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're great. Which I'm like, where do you where do you get postcards like that? Yeah. Yeah. You can't find them here. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. We'd have to special order that kind of uh, postcard. <laughs> um, but if you guys want to send us anything, uh, we do have a P.O. box, and you can go down in the show notes and find the P.O. box address and send it to us. And, you know, we may thank you and mention you on the show if you send us something. So, uh, you know, thank you, Freya, for that. And thanks to anybody who sends us anything here in the future. Um, just no food. As much as we would like it, no food. <laughs> no food. No perishables. No, because I, I don't check it every day, and I don't want it going <laughs> bad in the P.O. box. Matt, 
Ashley and I went to a cabin, and we're going to talk about this more on the Patreon episode that we're recording right after this, which will actually go up before this episode. So weird time shift here in the graveyard. But if you guys are listening to this and you're interested in hearing about a creepy cabin experience in our trip up to middle of nowhere, Arkansas, y'all can go over to to, to Patreon patreon.com slash graveyard tales and check it out there um and a whole bunch of other stuff we've got a whole bunch of episodes up there different content than we normally put up yeah it it, it is a little bit different it's also a little more casual um i don't know if we could be any more casual than we are now but somehow um, we do i i, I, I it's not, it doesn't it just kind of you know, stuff just kind of flows on right. on, uh, on those shows. So so check them out. You know, it's uh, you know we've got some pretty co- pretty cool episodes in there already, and, and of course we're we're adding more stuff uh, pretty frequently. So check it out. Yep. All right, Adam. We all have you know guilty pleasures. You know. I like to uh, I like to ride down the road and uh, and and blast ACDC uh, music, you know when I'm should when be I'm, guilty yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's just one of my guilty pleasures, you know. Um, but one thing I'm not guilty about is playing Best Fiends. I mean, you know, Best Fiends is just it's an endless source of fun that you can play anytime just right there on your phone you know it's it's really great the the three match puzzle style game um it's totally unique and you can just pick it up at any point in time and and just start playing just pick up where you left off you know if you've got five minutes 15 minutes whatever you're standing in line and it's going to be another 20 minutes at the dmv you can always whip out your phone and play best fiend that's right and you know, Ashley and I will sit there and we'll play it at night while we're laying there, you know, getting ready to go to bed, TV's on, we're playing Best Fiends, and she's way better at it than I am. So I, I try not to even ask her where she's at anymore because she's in the thousands of levels there. But th- that's the good thing is they're always adding new levels. So you don't have to worry about, oh, dang, if I keep playing this, I'm going to beat the game and then i'll have nothing to do don't worry about that they they keep adding levels you can be just like ashley and blow me out of the water by you know completing 20 40 levels every hour or so but if you're gonna do that if you're gonna play thousands of levels every day you you cannot blame matt and i for you becoming obsessed with this game We're, we're warning you now it's a game that you will want to play all the time and we promise you that we love the game and we play it all the time and you can download best fiends for free today on the apple app store or on google play and remember that's friends without the r best fiends that's right you can download best fiends free today on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the r best fiends So, Matt, I think that's enough BS for the intro here. So, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? 
Okay, so tonight uh, we're going to head back down to Australia, one of our favorite places to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're not going to talk about anything haunted. We're not going to talk about a cryptid. Um, we're actually going to talk about uh, an animal that everyone thought went extinct years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the the last one was what nineteen thirty six. Yep. But now, and for about the last I guess ten or fifteen years, there have been regular sightings of this animal that is leading people to believe that maybe it's not extinct. Right, and it's not a and, bogan. And it's not a bogan. I just learned that word not too long ago, so <laughs> you have to forgive me. I've said it a few times tonight to Matt already, so. That's right. He's loving it. So. <laughs> but what it is, is the Tasmanian tiger, or also known as the thylacine. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to we're gonna kind of get into the story of, of uh, the Tasmanian tiger and talk about, you know, how, how it came about that it became extinct. And we're going to talk about some uh, weird things that may make you wonder if it's still roaming around out there. Right. And the thylacine is one of those animals that it's on the top of my list of favorite animals. And mainly because of how odd the animal itself is. Like, you know, we'll talk about why it's so different. Um, But like a lot of other Australian animals, it's not anywhere else in the world. It's strictly an Australia-Tasmania thing. And there are several other animals like that, and it's it's a damn shame that it was hunted to extinction. Um, but it, it fascinates me all the time because I'm like, what if? What if it's still alive? Just like the coelacanth and mm-hmm. other animals like that that we think went extinct, but maybe it's not. And it leaves hope out there. And in my cryptozoologist side jumps on on that thylacine boat all the time yeah oh yeah and uh we're gonna we're gonna tie this in with um something that is a little more true to graveyard tales so if you're if you're listening to this going what have i have i tuned into the wrong show (laughs) have they changed their format no okay we're we're gonna get there and you know, the more you hear us talk about this animal, the more I think you're going to be thinking along the lines that we are. So, right. And in general, we don't have a format. So it's just kind of this is true fly by the seat of our <laughs> pants thing. <laughs> um, but as we always say, go check out our sources in the show notes if you want to continue the research and you can see where we got our information. Um, and as always, we leave a little bit out because. You know, trying to save a little bit of time here so we don't do a four-hour epic for you guys. Um, But you can go and check out all of that in the show notes. Now, what is the thylacine? Well, the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger, the Tasmanian wolf, or the marsupial wolf is the largest carnivorous marsupial of recent times. And it presumed extinct soon after the last captive individual died in 1936, as Matt was saying. Um, That's the last time we had one in captivity that we know about. Now, it was the only member of the family Thylacinidae to survive into modern times. 
The name thylacine roughly translate from the Greek via Latin as dog-headed pouched one. So very, I mean, they didn't mince words with that. They dog-headed pouched one. <laughs> yeah, they just they call it what it is. Yep. You know, and I wish everything was named like that. Right, right. Just, you know, yeah. uh, clicky ink distributor thing instead of yeah. a pen. I mean... Well, when my uh, my my daughter Miranda, who is now fourteen, soon to be fifteen, when she was little, that's how she called things. Oh yeah, she she called them by what they did. So a microphone was a singer. <laughs> She's like, this looks like a singer, and, and like an air freshener was a smeller. Oh yeah. She's like, I like that smeller. You know, well, so, uh, you know, she called everything what it did. That seems more simple. I mean, it if does. we could, <laughs> we could just all do that. Now, the thylacine was described as quite shy and it usually avoided contact with humans. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute as to why that plays into a thought I have. Um, but what did it look like? And, this is this comes from the Australian Museum, so should be an authority on the thylacine there. What well, says the thylacine was sandy yellowish brown to gray in color and had 15 to 20 distinct dark stripes across the back from shoulders to tail. Now, although the large head was dog or wolf like, the tail was stiff and the legs were relatively short. The body hair was dense, short and soft, um, up to 15 millimeters in length. Now, the tail is something that we'll probably get into when uh, Matt starts uh, his part of the episode here. But the, that's a very distinctive feature that people look at to determine whether it's uh, thylacine or something else. Because the tail, long, straight, and it it's basically sticks straight out from the back of them. And I guess they use it um, when they were moving as balance. Yeah, like a lot of marsupials do. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll use the their tail as kind of a counterbalance when right. they're when they're jumping or or balancing on a, you know like going over rougher terrain. Mm-hmm. Now it says it had short ears about eighty millimeters long uh, that were erect, rounded, and covered with short fur. Jaws were large and powerful, and there was forty six teeth on average. Adult male thylacines were larger on average than females. Now, the female thylacine had a back-opening pouch, and the litter size was up to four, somewhere between the one and four range, and the young were dependent on the mother until at least half-grown. Now, interestingly, males also had a back-opening partial pouch, so that's what differentiates marsupials from a lot of other animals is they have a pouch. You think of the kangaroo pouch, but the kangaroo's face is up, because they kind of they stand on their hind legs a lot. So if they had a back facing pouch, the the baby would just fall out of the pouch all the time. Yeah. Um, but the backwards facing pouch on the thylacine was some people say made it easier for the young to crawl up in there until they got grown enough to just trot around and never retreat to the uh, pouch again. But it's interesting that the males had. Uh, a pouch as well if it's supposed to be like an incubator for the young it's interesting that the males have that and the females 
were the ones that, you know, cared for the young in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what did it eat? Well, the thylacine was mainly nocturnal or semi-nocturnal, but also out during the day. Now, the animal moved at a slow pace, generally stiff in its movements, and the thylacine hunted singularly or in pairs and mainly at night. So you didn't ever see a pack of thylacine running around. You'd see one to two of them. Now, thylacines preferred small kangaroos or other marsupials, small rodents, and birds, and they were reported to have preyed on sheep and poultry after European colonization, although the extent of this was almost certainly exaggerated, which we'll talk more about later. But, for example, there was a perpetuated intentionally or otherwise um, by a series of famous photos taken by Harry Burrell, which I'll put some of those photos in uh, the Patreon there so you guys can check those out. Yeah, and Adam mentioned earlier the 46 teeth. You know, that's that's a lot of teeth. But remember, the thylacine was a predator and a very good one. But it was interesting. They they determined that the the thylacine could open its jaws a full 120 degrees. That's insane. Now, you think about that. That that's, makes it kind of look like, uh, you know, Gina Gina Davis in Beetlejuice, where she yeah. you know rips her mouth open. Yep. But they said even though it could open its mouth that wide, its its bite, its the actual bite was not strong enough for it to take down, you know, much larger prey. That, you know, you take in consideration the number of teeth and, and, you know, combine it with this ability to open its jaw real wide. They presume that that was a defense mechanism. Yeah. That if it was approached by a larger animal, then it felt threatened that it could give the appearance of being something much more ferocious than it probably was. Right. It, like you said, it wasn't going to take down a large kangaroo. It would take down a small baby kangaroo or something not as strong, but it's not going to be out there hunting large kangaroo or anything that big. Yeah, large kangaroo could punt it. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you look at that and the 120 degrees, I mean, that's almost jaw straight down and up, yeah. almost flat, which is insane. And other than reptiles, um, what other animal out there living now can do that? There's yeah. not, there's hardly any. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that's a, that's a serious mouth gape. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could get, you could get, get your mouth around just about anything. Might right. not be able to bite it, you know, but you could, you could get it around it. I've been to some of these fancy burger places and they put, they make their burgers so freaking tall. I wish mine could open that much. That's right. So, yeah. I knew a guy in high school that could put a baseball in his mouth. Oh, wow. And and he's in jail now, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. And why you would figure out you had that talent is is another problem. You know? (laughs) Why can can we get something bigger in there? Yeah. Yeah, You got to be really bored. Oh, yeah. I can get a golf ball. What what's the largest thing I can fit in my mouth? And then it's stuck, and you got to go to the hospital and That's right. have it removed. And all right, so where did the thylacine live? Well, at one time, the thylacine was widespread over continental Australia, extending north to New Guinea and south to Tasmania. 
But in more recent times, it was confined to Tasmania, where its presence has not been established conclusively for more than about 70 years or so. Now, in Tasmania, the species was best known from the north and east coast and mid-plains region rather than from the mountains of the southwest. And the Tasmanian tiger, they say, lived in dry eucalyptus forests, wetlands, and grasslands. So it had a wide range, but it wasn't a mountain dweller. Now, why did it become extinct? Well, although the precise reasons for extinction of the thylacine from mainland Australia are not known, it appears to have declined as a result of competition with the dingo and perhaps hunting pressure from humans, and the thylacine became extinct on Australian mainland no less than 2,000 years ago. So it, you know, like I was saying, it it used to be in mainland Australia, but it died out from there about 2,000 years ago and then was confined just to Tasmania, hence the Tasmanian tiger moniker. Now, It's estimated there were around 5,000 thylacines in Tasmania at the time of European settlement. However, excessive hunting combined with factors such as habitat destruction and introduced disease led to rapid extinction of the species. Now, the establishment of the first colonies in Tasmania in the early 1800s also brought the farming industry. Settlers cleared large areas of land and cultivated livestock such as sheep and cattle. And... This next part pisses me off, and it probably will all of y'all too, but we've got to look at it, and hopefully we can learn from it. Um, But this next part is the kind of thing that it it just it grates on my nerves how we can be this way. Um, Despite evidence that feral dogs and widespread mismanagement were responsible for the majority of stock losses, the thylacine became an easy scapegoat and was hated and feared by the Tasmanian public. So they were losing their livestock, and they blamed the thylacine. Was well, early as 1830, bounty systems for the thylacine had been established, with farm owners pooling money to pay for skins. In 1888, the Tasmanian government also introduced a bounty of one pound per full-grown animal and 10 shillings per juvenile animal destroyed. Now, the program extended until 1909 and resulted in the awarding of more than 2,180 bounties. Good Lord. Yeah. It is estimated that at least 3,500 thylacines were killed through human hunting between 1830 and the 1920s. The introduction of competitive species such as wild dogs, foreign disease, including mange, and extensive habitat destruction also greatly contributed to thylacine population losses. Now, the last known shooting of a wild thylacine took place in 1930. And by the mid part of that decade, sightings in the wild were extremely rare. Authorities from uh, from scientific and zoological communities became concerned about the state of the decimated thylacine population and pushed for preservation measures to be undertaken. Oh, yeah, now you do. I was going to say, yeah, well, we screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Too little, too late. Um, Because, however, a shift in public opinion and the start of conservation actions came too late. The species were granted protection status just 59 days before the death of Benjamin, the last known thylacine, which died in Hobart Zoo from suspected neglect on September 7th, 1936. He was locked outside uh, at night 
during the winter and he um, succumbed yeah. to exposure because he couldn't bed down and warm up. Now, this says further efforts to capture specimens for zoos and museums were unsuccessful and none were ever found. Since then, many expeditions have been organized to search for the thylacine in the Tasmanian wilderness, and there continue to be many reported sightings by people who believe the animal is still about, which Matt's going to get into um, here shortly. Um, it says, though, despite this, there is no conclusive evidence of the continued existence of the thylacine, and the animal has been officially extinct since 1986. So 50 years after Benjamin died, they declared it officially extinct. And that... That is that was the standard, um, and I, I'm going to talk about that a little later. But fifty the fifty years past the last known sighting confirms an animal is extinct. Right. So it's not like they just go up. Oh, well, that was the last one. It's now extinct. They they actually give it a shot, and right. and the standard was we'll wait fifty years, and if nobody sees one, catches one, whatever then we'll say it's extinct. So that's yeah. why it was it was 1986 before they actually officially made it extinct. Yeah, which, I mean, it makes sense because there's yeah. possibility there could be some out there that you just can't find. Um, and you got to give it enough time and enough searching. Now, this goes on to say that Aboriginal rock paintings of thylacine-like animals were recognized from northern Australia, including the Kimberley region of western Australia, and they have also been found on walls or overhangs on exposed rock surfaces in the Upper East Alligator region of Deaf Adder Creek and Cattle River Crossing in the Northern Territory. Now, there is evidence to suggest that Aboriginal people in Tasmania used the thylacine as a food item many, many, many years ago. So there is, um, they have rock paintings of the thylacine so they know they have lived in mainland Australia many years ago. Now, this says, is there a fossil record of thylacine? Well, fossil thylacines have been reported from Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia, and Queensland. Now, work at the Riversley World Heritage Fossil Site in northwest Queensland has unearthed a spectacular array of thylacines dating from about 30 million years ago to almost 12 million years ago. At least seven different species are present, ranging from small specialized cat-sized individuals to fox-sized predators. Now, the most spectacular find has been an almost complete skeleton of a thylacine from the AL-90 site at Riversley, first glimpsed in 1996 when a limestone boulder was cracked to reveal part of the skull after 17 million years in a limestone tomb. After many months of intricate preparation, the skeleton has been reassembled. So that's pretty cool. They've got some really old fossils of thylacine just to prove that, you know, they, this is a marsupial that's been around in Australia and that area for millions of years until humans got to it. That's right. We screw up everything. Oh, dude. Yeah. Just makes me so mad that's why i said that that part it, it gets under my skin because we've done that you know we almost made the buffalo extinct in north america just because oh hey there's a lot of them let's go shoot them yeah that's right. you know i mean 
okay, I'm glad there's a lot of them, and that's because you haven't been shooting them. Leave them alone. You know, and like the Tasmanian tiger, it was falsely accused of being a predator of large game. And as we just talked about, with its jaw pressure, it's not going to be taking down your big sheep and everything. You know, yeah. it, it may kill some chickens, but I mean, you can you can you can deal with a couple chickens lost. I'm sorry, but that happens normally. I've I've had chickens had a big coop of chickens and yeah. you're going to lose them. You know, my, my oh, grandmother's yeah. dog killed a couple of them just because, I mean, yeah. they're, they're prey animals. Yeah. I mean, you know, Amanda keeps talking about, we got to get some chickens. Yeah. I'm like, our dogs are not going to live with chickens. <laughs> our dogs a lot are of dogs eat, won't eat chickens. Yep. Yeah. A lot of dogs. And won't. Our dogs but... are not vicious dogs. No, but no, you know, I don't, I don't have moles or rabbits in my yard anymore either. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> right. Um, those pictures that I'm going to put in Patreon, there's a picture of a thylacine eating a chicken. Yeah. And uh, the pictures are staged to look like it's out in the wild and he just happened to catch this guy a running off chicken? with a chicken. Yeah. Uh, well, like running off with a chicken from somebody's uh, farm. But... I'm also going to include a couple other pictures that show that thylacine is in a cage and was being fed a chicken. And that's why it's got the chicken, you know, because in the other photos, you can see the cage that it's in. So those pictures were uh, distributed around Australia and Tasmania at the time to say, hey, look, they're running off with your chickens. Yeah. Just so that the bounty would be put on the thylacine's head. Oh, yeah. Killing an animal. Yep. Yep. Thylacine propaganda. Now, let's talk about the genome a little bit. And this this comes from the Express in the UK. Now, a baby Tasmanian tiger collected 108 years ago has provided enough high-quality genetic material for researchers to sequence the animal's entire genome, creating one of the best such genetic blueprints for an extinct animal. Scientists are closer than ever to bringing the extinct Tasmanian tiger back from the dead, with scientists planning to draw inspiration from similar efforts to clone the woolly mammoth. Now, Andrew Pask, a biologist from the University of Melbourne, was part of a team who successfully sequenced the genome. He said the discovery of the specimen had been invaluable in enabling he and his colleagues to piece together the thylacine's genetic blueprint. He said, quote, it gave us so much information about what was unique about the thylacine. We learned more about its biology. We learned about its population structure over time. We also learned more about where it sits and how it related to other marsupials. Now, a pioneering cloning technique developed by Harvard geneticist George Church is being hailed as a way of bringing extinct creatures back to life. Professor Church's team is working on bringing back the mammoth um, by using DNA of an Asian elephant, its closest living relative. Mr. Hey, pa- I I, uh, I saw this movie. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't end well. No, no, it, it didn't. Um, we actually uh, uh, just watched that with Michael. I showed that to him the other night, um, and he even said, maybe that's why we shouldn't bring things back like that. I said, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> maybe so. Yep. 
Now, Mr. Pask added, quote, there's something that's not science fiction anymore. It's science fact. They will be able to bring something mammoth-like back to life. Now, the closest living relative to the thylacine is another marsupial known as a numbat, but there are many differences in the two species. So it's close, but it's not really, I mean, it's not as close genetically as the Asian elephant is to the mammoth. It's it's a marsupial, but there's such a wide uh, variety in the marsupials that it's not close enough to say, hey, let's just you know, pop a thylacine genome into this numbat egg and it'll be fine. Yeah. And I, and I heard something in a video, um, that was, it was, it was really interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the way it was said, it said the thylacine was a dog like marsupial. Yeah. And it filled a niche in you know the um the ecosystem mm-hmm. okay because dogs were not native to australia right right so you know it 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 took on the role of the wild dog you know in australia and tasmania because there wasn't anything like that yeah, and needed a, a hunter of the small animals. Yeah, and it and it doesn't it 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 really doesn't fit into the other marsupial categories. It it became its own thing, right? As and a it, lot of Australian stuff does. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know that that's part of what makes this thing so cool mm-hmm. is, you know, it evolved into something that it may not necessarily have been. Because the ecosystem needed it. Right, right. But that's even more reason why they shouldn't have hunted it to death. Exactly. You know, because, because it, it had developed into something that filled a gap. Right, and we should have known that even late 1800s, early 1900s, we should have understood uh, enough about biology and ecosystems to understand that each animal has its place and if we remove something, the ecosystem is going to hurt in a way, and we may never get another thing like that back. But they right. added the wild dog, or they added the dog to the continent, and then that they were competing there mm-hmm. with the dog-like marsupial, which probably ate, you know, they ate about the same thing, hunted about the same thing. So, sure, I mean, it just drives me nuts. Now, this goes on to say that Mr. Pask said, quote, you would have to make a lot more changes to make the numbat DNA look like a thylacine, but the technology for making those changes has gotten exponentially easier in the last five or so years because of the people who are doing the mammoth work. Now, the cloning idea remains controversial with plenty of opposition from others uncomfortable with the prospect. Now, Australian wildlife biologist Nick Mooney told express.co.uk in December, quote, I call the proposed cloning clowning. It's again about how clever we are. The original effort was about developing biotech and use thylacines as a charismatic fundraiser. That's the ethic I worry about, not the reconstruction per se. Unlike woolly mammoths, 
we did, after all, kill it off. The technology is legitimate, and there are very rare animals with ideal surrogates that could be far more easily bolstered by cloning, end quote. All right, Matt, so it's still at the tail end of winter. You know, here in the south, it, we got chilly nights, and in some places here in the U.S., there's still snow on the ground. And there's nothing quite like when it's cold at night, sitting around, bundled up, watching TV. And nothing honestly feels more transportive when you're stuck indoors on cold nights than watching awesome TV from across the pond, as they say. Now, that is why you and I have Acorn TV. Now, Acorn TV is a streaming service that's rooted in British television. It has a rich catalog of exclusive award-winning series across genres, including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. Yeah, from production to performances, the series you'll find on Acorn TV are exceptional because they're cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors like David Tennant and Thandie Newton. Now, if you're a fan of quirky British comedy, then the other one is a must-watch. It follows two sisters from very different worlds who had no idea the other existed until their father drops dead. And for you Downton Abbey fans out there, the other one features a hilarious performance from the beloved Siobhan Fennerin. Plus, you get thousands of hours of new refreshing content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. That is a great price. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, this is a great way to escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. You don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to worry about, you know, flying over to Britain nowadays because that's not a good idea to hop on a plane. But you can try Acorn TV free for 30 days. All you got to do is go to acorn.tv and use our promo code GRAVE. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV and use GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, to get your first 30 days for free. That's right. You can try Acorn TV free for 30 days. All you have to do is go to acorn.tv, that's A-C-O-R-N dot TV, and use our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, for the first 30 days free. So I see what he's saying, that it it's harder, it's going to be harder to clone yeah. the thylacine and bring it back where there's other animals that we could maybe e- more easily bring back. But like he said, we are the reason that the thylacine went extinct. Right. Unlike the mammoth, which natural circumstances of the world is what made it go extinct. The climate, right. the the the... Um, you know, a little bit of hunting from the native peoples, but not enough with spears to make them go extinct, you know, um, but they just went extinct due to natural processes of the earth where, and same as dinosaurs and stuff like that. But we know for a fact that we killed off the thylacine 
So they could, had we not done that, they could still be one of the top predators in Australia and Tasmania and help fulfill, like you said, the niche that needs to be filled. Mm -hmm. So I'm personally not against trying to bring it back. I don't think, honestly, that we will anytime soon because of how unique and specialized its genes were. But I say we what what's wrong with trying if we if we don't still have some in the wild, which we may, um, why why not try? Yeah. When I read this in my head, Nick Mooney looks like Jeff Goldblum. And he's going, <laughs> We're in such a hurry to see if we could, we didn't stop to think if we should. Yep, exactly. You know, and, and you're right. I mean, it's a big difference, you know, and even even in the movie, we're making jokes, but even in the movie Jurassic Park, they hit on something, you know, really big when he he looks at him when 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 Hammond looks at him and says condors, if if I was, you know, bringing back condors, nobody would say a word to me about it. Right. And he, he made Jeff Goble makes the point. We're not talking about an animal that was you know, forced into extinction by deforestation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're not talking about an animal like the thylacine that was, you know, wiped out because of overhunting. Right. You, know, you know, in the mammoth case, we're talking about an animal that's separated by thousands and thousands, sometimes millions of years, you know, from the current ecosystem. Right. You know, by natural selection. Right. You know, I mean, so it, you know, it may not be able to live even if we brought it back. It may correct. not have the ability to live in in the world now because of the way the climate is and its food sources and all that. But the thylacine probably could still. I, yeah, I think so. Um, and and I'm with you. I mean, it's it's a touchy subject. I mean, it always brings up a lot of things. I mean, you know, you you know, the cloning sheep, you know, and things like that already. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes you kind of wonder, you know, There's where, ethical where does problems. it end here? Yeah. Um, you know, what are we doing? You know, I don't, I don't get into the whole, oh, you're playing God. I'm like, wait a minute now. Let's, let's back up a little bit. Yeah. You know, the science is there, you know, I mean, it's, that's, that's part of it too. It's like, if the science is there, why should why shouldn't we investigate it? What else could we learn by trying this? Exactly. Um, I just and it's think, not like we're talking about cloning people. This would be a whole right. different. This would be a whole different conversation if we were talking about cloning people or bringing you know the Neanderthal back from extinction. But we're not. We're talking about thylacines and sheep. You know. So despite all of this, you know, as as we said. Sightings of the thylacine continue. You know, they they keep cropping up. Now, you know, it's hard to say what people are seeing, but, um, you know, these reports are pretty regular. And and, and as, as the early reports started coming in, you know, the state handed out footprint identification guides and gave wildlife officials boxes marked thylacine response kit to keep in their work vehicles should they need to gather evidence i want one of those yeah or take a plaster cast of a paw print so you know these expeditions as adam mentioned earlier 
to find the survivors. Um, some were funded by the government, some by private explorers. Um, and there was one by the World Wildlife Fund. You know, they were hindered by their limits, you know, by the limits of technology, you know, then. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sheer scale of the Tasmanian wilderness. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. we're, we're not talking about a very small place. No. Um, and, and, and the fact that, you know, Tasmania's other major carnivore, you know, the Tasmanian devil, not mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes character. Yeah, um, I used they, to do they, a real good Tasmanian devil impersonation, <laughs> but I'm not going to do it because I'll make gonna, my mic wet. Do it. So, <laughs> but the the devil is is nature's they, they call it the near perfect destroyer of evidence. Mm-hmm. They say it, it will consume every bit of whatever carcasses it finds, down to the hair and the bones. Yep, it's crazy. It's a disposal, basically. Yeah, but you know, searchers still drag slabs of ham down these trails, and and they have baited camera traps. You know, they use roadkill or even live chickens, and and you know they collect footprints. Um, but you know, while debating what the footprint of a of a live tiger would look like, since the only example uh, that they have are impressions made from, you know, the dissected paws of museum specimens so they don't really have anything to compare it to um but you know they gather you know scat and hair samples and they always come back with we can't tell yeah you know because we just don't have enough evidence to compare it to yeah inconclusive sucks as an answer that's right but you know these these uh these expeditions were were so popular that in 1983, Ted Turner actually commemorated a yacht race by offering a $100,000 reward for proof of the tiger's existence. Hmm. And, and in 2005, a magazine offered $1.25 million Australian dollars, um, you know, for the same thing. So it said, uh, like many others living in a world where mystery is an increasingly rare thing, we wanted to believe. That's what the magazine editor said. Now, the rewards went unclaimed. Um, but it made the Tasmanian Tiger's fame grow even larger. Sure, and, yeah. And nowadays, you can find the thylacine on, on beer cans, um, bottles of sparkling water. One, one northern town replaced its crosswalk with tiger stripes. Nice. Yeah. And I want to get a T-shirt from, like, I want an Australian T-shirt, genuine Australian shirt with yeah. a thylacine on it. Yeah. That would be cool. I'm I'm sure they have them. I'm sure they do, yeah. <laughs> you, and you can pay the shipping to get it here. Yeah, that's the problem. That's why I don't have one. There's <laughs> <laughs> $17 shirt. It's going to cost you 45 bucks to ship it. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, we uh, we sent out. In the early days of this show, we sent out some posters to Australia in a poster tube, and holy crap, it cost more for shipping than it did to buy the poster, you know, have it made, buy the uh, the tube to ship it in. It was like yeah. twice as much for shipping, and I was like, holy crap. It's not like it's going to Siberia or something. No, it's not like it's, it's like- going to Mars, but they charge it like we're <laughs> shipping to Mars. But but here's something cool. Tasmania's standard issue license plate features an image of a thylacine peeking through the grass. 
And above it, uh, is, there's a tagline that says, explore the possibilities. That's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. You know? I like that. So they, they're, they're celebrating, you know, the existence of, you know, the thylacine um, and, and even being hopeful that there are still some out there. Yeah. Now, in 1982, an experienced park ranger who was doing surveys near the northwest coast reported seeing a tiger in the beam of his flashlight. And he said he even had time to count the stripes. And he said there were 12. Nice. You know, so, I mean, this is somebody, like I said, an experienced park ranger, you know, somebody who knows what he's looking at, you know, recognizes what could potentially have been mm-hmm. a thylacine. Now, there was another incident where there were two separate carloads of people, eight total witnesses, and said they had gotten a close look at a tiger who, uh, who wouldn't get out of the road. So much so that they eventually had to drive around it. Oh, wow. Which which confuses me because they, you know, for the most part, they said they're pretty skittish and they stay away yeah. from people. Um, I would imagine it was a, a car would have probably caused it to run off. But It was a taxidermy one. They just stuck a taxidermy one in the road. And <laughs> they're like, it's not moving. Yeah, why? I don't even see it blinking. What's going on? <laughs> Now, in 1996, uh, another man uh, recalled a time when his wife came home. He said she was white-faced and wide-eyed. And she said, I've seen something I shouldn't have seen. And he said, did you see a murder? And she's like, <laughs> no, I've seen a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I saw our neighbor's sunbathing nude. <laughs> now, in 2008, a woman captured a video of an animal with a strange walk crossing an open space in Western Victoria. So this video was actually released in 2016 by the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia, who have made it their mission to prove that these animals are still around. Now, the group's founder, Neil Waters, says that the recorded animal stripes, strange walk, and long, thin tail help to identify it as a thylacine and not a dog or a fox. Now, I've seen the video. It's hard to see the stripes. Yeah, I'm just going to be straight out with you. It's really hard. But the, I mean, you get, you get a lot of 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 viewing time, more than you typically get with a video like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it and it does kind of have the behavior. It it does look the head is the right shape. Um, but you know, it was recorded on, you know, like a handy cam, you know, yeah. like the little video cameras. Um, so it is really hard to, to tell if it had stripes. Now, just about a month ago, Neil Waters posted a video to YouTube claiming he had discovered a family of thylacines on camera traps set up in the Tasmanian wilderness. Now, he explained that he'd sent the footage to the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery for analysis by the thylacine expert Nick Mooney. So for about 24 hours, everybody was really, really excited. Sure, that, yeah. That Neil had, had actually found evidence of living thylacines. But on February 23rd, now that's just a, you know, a few weeks ago, the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery and Nick Mooney released a statement explaining that the creature snapped in the footage was most likely a patty melon, which is a short, stout marsupial 
similar to a wallaby. Now, if you look at a picture of a thylacine and you look at a picture of a patty melon, they don't look anything alike. No, they don't. I mean, if 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 you saw them in a lineup, you'd be like, uh, these are yeah. two different animals. Yeah. How do how do you confuse one for the other? But you know, in the wild, we've talked about this before. In the wild, you you see something. It's it's at night or it's in shadow or you don't get a clear image. You're only seeing parts of it. And I've looked at these pictures that Neil Waters has got, and it's it's really really difficult to tell what the thing is at all. It is. You know, it's hard to identify what type of animal it is. Could it be a thylacine? Possibly. Yep. Could it be a patty melon? Could be. Could it be anything else? Yeah. I mean, it, it could be. It's just too hard to make a positive identification. And even Nick Mooney, you know, just says it was most likely a patty melon. He doesn't say that's exactly what it is because he can't tell. Sure. There's a lot of videos, though, that, you know, you do see that just the silhouetted body of the animal or whatever you you can say, nope, that's not a patty melon. Nope, that's not a wombat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but this one is uh, the some of the photos that he's got are, are questionable because of, I guess, the color of the photo and the background and how it's washing out because of movement. Yeah. And stuff like that. So it's a it's a field camera. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, how how many things have we seen on video from a field camera? Yeah, or still photos that look like, you know, something totally outlandish. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, there's tons of cryptid pictures from field cameras. Right. So I mean, it, none of these images are are really all that spectacular. I mean, you know, you're not able to direct it. You're not able to move it or change the angle. You're just catching what it's looking at. And, I mean, the animals aren't coming up and posing. You know, it's <laughs> right. not like, you know, it's not, it looks like a photo booth sitting out there and they're popping in and you get a little strip of four or five pictures of a thylacine. It's just right. not going to happen. It's like, paint um, me like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> Laid out in front of the camera. But, you know, Waters is undeterred. And uh, he continues on his mission to prove that the Tasmanian tiger still exists, you know, and good for him. Um, but, you know, he 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 is a character. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, for sure. And um, Adam and I were discussing uh, right before we started recording that, you know, when uh, when you go and you watch the video where he's kind of responding to, you know, Nick Mooney's analysis, he he gets pretty defensive about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I I worry that, you know, his his inability to look at other possibilities in this case, I think it's going to hurt his credibility in the future. And Unfortunately, I mean, this, yeah. this guy is probably, you know, one of the few people that are still really putting a concentrated effort into determining and determining if this animal is really extinct. Right, um, so we you know, need so, him to be taken a little more seriously than he's exactly. bringing himself across. Yeah, uh, and I think Matt, uh, this is the website that you mentioned, but the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys want to see some of these video or this most recent whatever, there is a link in our show notes 
uh, thylacine awareness group of australia.com slash or dot com dot au. Yeah. Um, that you can go check out and go there and see some of these photos that we're discussing. Yeah. But, you know, in, in Neil's defense, um, it does show how passionate he is about this. Totally. And, um, you know, so I definitely don't think this is going to cause him to give up. I, I think if anything, it's just going to fuel his fire. Um, I hope. You know, to, to keep hunting. But there there is one of the, the coolest things about this, I think. And it's that we have a listener and graveyard member who has also had a sighting. Yep. Okay, so Stephen, you know, like I said, who's a member of the graveyard. And he he's says, been with us since almost the beginning. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember talking to Stephen from like I, first year we were doing this. Well, so Way back when, when, when we yep. were so shocked that we had people that listened to us in Australia. <laughs> right. So thanks, Stephen, for sticking <laughs> with us and for sharing this. But but Stephen says he he thinks it's definitely not extinct. He said uh, he saw one back in February of 2013. He said a friend of his uh, and he were driving back from Bernie to Rosebury uh, on a remote western Tasmania highway. Said it was late, probably around 1 a.m. And they had just you know gone past an area uh, at Fossey River and about three miles down the road said it came from the right side onto the road crossing said it maybe maybe it was about the size of a greyhound dog but kind of a hyena in appearance he said uh you know with the back hump you know mm-hmm. and it was tan with the brownish black stripes coming down off its back and he said maybe it had a tail about a meter long said its front end walked like a dog but the back legs were bounding like a kangaroo does as it crossed to the other side of the road he said he saw it for maybe about four seconds, and then it was gone. He said if they had been traveling any faster, they would have probably hit it. Yeah. You know, so that's that's really incredible. That's that, amazing. You know, and, we, we've got a listener that's actually had a sighting of something like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And he put, um, if you go into our uh, Facebook group on the post about this episode, he put a link in there where they actually – researched his sighting the thylacine awareness group something one of those groups actually researched his sighting so it was documented yeah so that's cool too um really like that and we we would like to hear more if if more of you tasmanian listeners or australian listeners have had a sighting like steven please tell us you know we we want to hear those you know so it 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 brings up the question, if, if the thylacine is really extinct, why are people reporting sightings? Right. So one possible explanation is that many of us are so alienated from the natural war- world that we're not well equipped to know exactly what we're looking at. Now, Eric Eric Geiler, who's a biologist um, known for his uh, work on thylacine history, was once asked to investigate a quote-unquote monster on Tasmania's west coast. And and when he did, he discovered a large piece of washed-up whale blubber. Oh, so a a globster. A globster, yeah. But, I mean, you know, people didn't know what it was. Right. You know, they they had never seen one, you know, because, you know, we're in a a modern world now, and, and people have a tendency to... To not venture out and I and be able to identify things they see in nature. 
we are so disconnected yeah. with nature. It, it's insane. It's like that joke meme that's going around. The reason we don't have more Bigfoot sightings today, and it's a bunch of people sitting on park benches staring at their phone, <laughs> and right. Bigfoot is walking past. That's you know? exactly right. And I mean, that that happens. That's not just a joke. That, that happens in real life. Yeah. Now, Mike Williams and his partner, Rebecca Lang, wrote a book about the Australian big cat phenomenon, and they were quoted as saying that people's observational skills are fairly low, which is a, a nice way of explaining why someone can see a panther while looking at a house cat. Yeah. And uh, in Some. April... In, in April, the New York Police Department, this was uh, April of, I think, I think 2012, 13. I didn't put the date in here for some reason. Hmm. Um, but the New York Police Department responded to a 911 call about a tiger, uh, presumably the Bengal, not the Tasmanian kind, roaming the streets of Washington Heights. It turned out to be a big raccoon. Oh, geez. Because people didn't know what a raccoon looked like. Yep. Or a tiger, apparently. Yeah, or a tiger. Didn't know how to identify one. They saw stripes and said it's tiger. Yeah. You know, the the tiger in my coloring book has stripes, so that must be a tiger. Yeah, exactly. But another explanation is that the natural world is large and complicated, and we're still fairly far from understanding it. Um. Now, Tasmania got a lesson in this recently when the government spent $50 million to eradicate invasive foxes, um, which has been a scourge to the native animals on the mainland, even though foxes were never proven to have made it to the island of Tasmania. Now, many scientists believe that even now, in the age of environmental crisis and ever-increasing technological capability, more animals are discovered each year than go extinct. So, right. I mean, what he's saying is, you know, we are finding new species every single year, many more than are actually dying off. Right. But some of these are dying off without us ever realizing that they lived. We're finding yep. evidence of an unknown species of animal but before we ever realized it was alive. Yep. I was thinking about that too. How many uh, go extinct that we we are not even aware of because yeah. we don't we don't go out there looking for them. Yeah. Which that's what tingles my cryptozoologist in me, you know. Yeah. And and as I mentioned earlier, for many years an animal was considered extinct after fifty years of the last confirmed sighting. Now the new standard, which was adopted in nineteen ninety four, is that there should be. No reasonable doubt that the last individual has died, which, you know, brings up the question, how do you have no reasonable doubt that the last animal of a species has died? That right. seems almost impossible. Yeah, it does. So, but, but because the death of a species is not a simple, you know, simple thing, um, you know, it's likely that at least some thylacines did survive beyond their official end at the Hobart Zoo, you know, perhaps even for generations. And a museum exhibit in the city now refers to the species as functionally extinct, which means it's no longer relevant to the ecosystem regardless 
of the status of possible survivors. So it's saying that even if some made it and are still around, they have no impact on the ecosystem because there's so few of them. Sure, sure. That makes sense. But now, I guess there's so many people saying they see them, they have to change how they talk about them. Right. Now, most thylacine sightings are dismissed as being misidentified animals, as we discussed earlier. And and the most common one is the Tasmanian patty melon. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the patty melon is a stocky animal with relatively short a relatively short tail and legs that help it get through dense vegetation. Now, they range in color from dark brown to gray brown. Uh, and, and they have kind of a red-brown belly. And as we said before, they really do not look like a thylacine. I'll add some patty melon pics to our Patreon post. But, you know, some of them do have a longer tail. Um, and and from behind, you know, maybe that that particular type of tail could give the appearance of a thylacine, especially if you're talking about a field cam, something that doesn't get a really good view. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the absence of stripes is usually a dead giveaway. But shadows, you know, variations in fur color, even dirt can be mistaken for stripes on a grainy video or still shot from a night vision field camera. Right. But foxes are also mistaken for thylacine. And even though foxes are not native to Australia... They were released in Victoria in 1871 for sport hunting and now are widespread through mainland Australia. Now, now, as we mentioned earlier, there was no real proof that foxes ever made it you know, to the island, but right. there are documented fox incursions, multiple ones, um, where the animals you know, did make it to Tasmania and they have been considered an invasive species where they prey on the smaller marsupial population of the island. So right. in this case, you know, these foxes are feeling are filling that niche and they're uh you know, they're doing some damage because they're yeah. you know, they're they're a superior predator for the animals that they hunt. Oh yeah. And yeah, for sure. you know, it, it's becoming harder and harder. Plus foxes, you know, breed like crazy yep. um and, and you know you can you can quickly you know be overrun with them it's like what happened with i think it's the cane toad in australia that some of those came over in something and now cane toad has taken over many ecosystems in australia and it's decimated the natural wildlife they're eating its food or eating it or the cane toads are poisonous, so things that try to eat the cane toad die. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, you get an ecosystem like Australia and Tasmania, you can't be adding stuff like that to it because it will, you know, it's a very intricate thing that's held up by, you know, all these little species and you pull one out or introduce one and the whole thing topples. It's like Jenga. You've yeah. got a, a, a Jenga tower that is precariously up there and you remove one piece because you added another piece to another part of the ecosystem and it just crumbles it's like he's japanese carp yeah i mean we i mean we've got i mean there's a you know i can get to the lake from my house in about five minutes 
and there's signs all around, you know, about feeding the fish. And it says, don't. Yeah. Because that's, you know, the, these, these Japanese carp have taken over, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they have become, you know, the, the top predator and they're killing off everything. Yep. You know, and, and then they reproduce like crazy. And now the lake's full of them and we're, we're losing the other fish. Yep. Or like kudzu. Yeah. Kudzu, you know, takes over everything. Yeah. Also from Japan. What's going yep. on? No. Yep. <laughs> the Japanese plants and animals like the ecosystem here and they just take over. I, I spent a little time in Mississippi and, mm-hmm. uh, if you've ever been to Mississippi, especially northern Mississippi, if it's standing still for very long, it's got kudzu growing on it. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> they said that ought to be the state flower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the state flower, the state animal, the state <laughs> bird, because it, it's going to take over everything. I mean, it's and it just covers. But yeah, it's it's invasive. So let's... Let's just for the dev, playing devil's advocate, advocate. Let's say that the thylacine made it. Okay, it 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 is not extinct and it's still around. How I like do you, to think that. Yeah. How do you lose an entire species? You know how how is that even possible? Well, it's not impossible. In fact, it's happened before. Mm-hmm. And as Adam mentioned earlier, the coelacanth, believed to be extinct for about sixty five million years. When it was cited in 1938. Right. Now, now, according to the Smithsonian entry about the coelacanth, scientists found the first living coelacanth in 1938 with the species of fish mainly uh, calling the Comoros Islands its home. Now, it was originally believed to be exclusive to that part of the world, but scientists have discovered th- coelacanths in 1997 and 98 in Indonesia, which is about 6,000 miles east of the Comoros. So, hey, you know, 65 million mm-hmm. years and nobody had seen one of these. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, they're still around. Yay. You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> but uh, a list from Animal Mozo also includes 22 other animals that were found alive in modern times despite their previous status as being extinct. You know, you look at similar examples to the Tasmanian tiger sighting. You know, this article includes an entry for the, uh, the Arakan, Arakan. I wonder if that's how you say it. Um, I don't know. The Arakan forest turtle, which was last sighted in 1908, thought to have been extinct around that time. The animal was rediscovered in 1994 in Western Myanmar. And as it turned out, they just hid out so well for more than eight decades, you know, un- until they were found again. Right. It's about how long the, the thylacine have said to be extinct. Yeah. The tree lobster or, or the Lord Howe Island stick insect is another example of an animal that went extinct within the last hundred years or so, but got rediscovered several decades later. Now, this creature was declared extinct in 1960, only to resurface in the island's Balls Pyramid in 2001. Now, there's also a a Takahi, which is a flightless bird from New Zealand that went extinct in 1898, 
but was spotted again in 1948, e- exactly 50 years later. Oh, right. wait. My, yeah. Wait, I'm about to be extinct. I'm still here. I was going to say, it just <laughs> it just flaps in front of somebody real quick and says, I'm not extinct, and then goes and hides again. Yeah, but but like other examples, um, this bird and and the uh, the tree lobster and and the turtle, uh, there are only a few that right. remain. I mean, it's not like they just found this huge population of them and they're like, hey, they're back. No, they've mm-hmm. only found a few, but they are still around. So, so functionally es- extinct. Functionally extinct. You know, they have no impact. So. Adam, let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor tonight, Manscaped. Manscaped is the global leader for below-the-waist grooming and the official sponsor of Graveyard Tales. Now, to ensure that you have the best tools uh, to to trim your family jewels, visit manscaped.com, and you can use our promo code GRAVE for 20% off and free international shipping. Now, there is a, a, a new package with Manscaped called the Performance Package, and it is just, it's the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Now, with the package, you get the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Man, that is a mouthful. So, you know, look, guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. I mean, you know, if you can braid it into your mustache hair, you know, right. you, need, you need a trim. Um, so if you're going to trim up, why not use the absolute best tools for the job? You know, this bundle also includes the Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer, which is the best trimmer on the market for, you know, your your male personal grooming. Um Hey, let, let's face it, guys. I mean, you know, your, your your ladies will love the fact that you've taken the extra step, you know, to trim up a little bit and, oh, and, and to look like you've you've uh, you've put a little bit of effort into it. Um, right. You know, and and, you know, like we said, the lawnmower 3.0 is, you know, the best trimmer that Adam and I have ever used. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it's great. And like they say, this third-generation trimmer features a cutting edge that's ceramic-bladed, so it reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, and you'll feel confident shaving down there. And I know that's the problem with uh, a lot of guys are like, oh, I can't do that because I, you know, that's a sensitive area, and I'm going to cut it. I'm going Now, we've all had the accidents. We've all bled like a stuck pig from doing it wrong. And, you know, don't stick your pig down there. That's all I'm saying. So why use something that is, you're taking a razor blade down there. That's not a good idea. And you don't need to do that when you've got their lawnmower. And like the the weed whacker for the nose, the lawnmower is waterproof. You can use it in the shower. It's got a light on it. So the place where the sun don't shine, you've got to add a little light to the situation there. It's got an LED light on it. And one of my favorite things, and y'all know this because I've said it a lot, is the deodorant that they use 
Um, it's a, a propi- proprietary blend called the Crop Preserver. And it's a deodorant and reviver for down there. And there's nothing like, if you're in the South, you know what I mean, working all day, you're hot, you're sticky, and everything's sticking to itself. You got places sticking to places you didn't know could stick. And if you want to avoid that, you use their crop preserver. Just wipe a little on, you smell great, and nothing's going to stick. And it's much better than putting a powder down there, which... Like we always say, that turns into biscuit dough and you don't want full-blown case of biscuits. Yeah, and, and ladies, you know, we're, we're already at spring break. Swimsuit season is upon us. And, you know, if this trimmer is good enough for your guy to use in his most sensitive areas, it's excellent for you as well. And I know Amanda can attest to it. She loves it as well. You know, so yep, Ashley does too. So, ladies, if if you're thinking about buying this for your man, it would also be a great gift for yourself. Right. And speaking of swimsuit season, guys, if you are seeing hair falling out of your swim shorts, I think it's time for a trim. That's a that's a little too long, there, fellas. Get this lawnmower and take care of it. So you can get twenty percent off and free shipping with our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com, and all you got to do is use our code GRAVE. I know, that's fantastic. And every purchase at manscaped.com goes toward contributions made to the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to, to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection which if you needed no other reason to buy something, that right there is a great reason to buy something. And you can do it and get 20% off plus free shipping. Just use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, at manscaped.com. You know, you have you have listened to our show about the thylacine and could it have been lost? Could could survivors have been lost to the point that nobody has seen them yet? There are still sightings. I think you can see where we're headed with this. (laughs) Right. Right. So all of these these cryptids, all of these strange creatures like. Sasquatch, you know, mm-hmm. Nessie. Um, the Yowie. Yeah, the Yowie. Orang Pendek. You know, mm-hmm. is it possible that all of these could be either in such small numbers or like the turtle hide so well that they have managed to go undetected for decades, centuries. Right. However, however long. Yeah. I mean, so again, you know, we're, we're finding new species that lived and went extinct before we ever actually knew they existed, you know, Mm -hmm. every year. And sure. Some of them, you know, we're, we're talking about in some cases, you know, very microscopic, 
you know, creatures or right, you sure. know, very small insects, you know, things like that. We, we are talking about things that are small. And, it, you know, I know sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that, you know, maybe a, a, a hairy creature that could stand between six and seven feet tall um, could go undetected. But, you know, if we're if we're looking at the thylacine, you know, we're not talking about a necessarily small animal. It's not huge either. No, but you know, could you know if we do find evidence that the thylacine did survive and is still in existence, then doesn't that open it up for a lot of other things? Oh yeah, I think so. And you know, I'm I'm a I'm almost like I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty high up there that the thylacine is still alive in some parts in the more remote regions of Tasmania. And every now and then you might see one that comes into a more inhabited area looking for food or whatever, because they were known to, you know, eat small game and stuff that were around, you know, dwellings. But they were known to be shy, mm-hmm. just like a lot of these other species that, like you're talking about, Sasquatch and stuff like that, are said to be shy. So I really think the thylacine is still out there in a tiny population, just big enough to breed and keep going. Yeah. And maybe if we put some money into it or some time into it or something, we can find it and hopefully bring that species back to its glory or somewhere, you know, it's never going to be the thousands of individuals. I don't think that we had before European settlers in the area, but I I think we need to put a little bit of time, a little bit more time and effort into it besides these couple individuals like the thylacine awareness group people and, and one or two others that are doing it, I think we need to put more effort into it. Just like I've said about Bigfoot research and, and other uh, cryptids, but you'll see a lot of cryptozoologists that they put time and effort into the thylacine. And mm-hmm. it's for the exact reason that Matt just mentioned is that gives you hope yeah. for other things. Mm-hmm. And it's the same the same general process for looking for thylacines as you would look for a Bigfoot or a Nessie or, you know, a Dogman or, or something of that nature. There's no proof that it's out there, but we got to keep looking. Yeah. And we may find it. Yeah. You know, in the same in the same vein, there, there's no proof that it's out there. There's no proof that it's not. Right. Um, the lack of evidence is not evidence that it's not there. That's right. If that makes sense. And I mean, we're not saying, you know, Adam and I could sit here and make up an animal and say, just because you can't prove that it's not real doesn't mean that it isn't real. We're not saying that. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, when we're talking in cryptozoological terms, you know, we're, we're talking about creatures that have been sighted. Mm-hmm. And you know they they can't explain it. Um, 
you know, multiple, multiple sightings, you know, not one guy. You know, we're, we're talking right. about creatures that have been sighted, you know, in, in, in Bigfoot cases thousands of times. Um, and, and not just Bigfoot. I mean, we're talking about a lot of other things that have been sighted that aren't proved to exist. But again, you know, the, the sightings make you believe, okay, there, there's got to be something out there, even if it's not this mythical creature, if it's just an undiscovered species. Mm-hmm. Either way is super cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in the thylacine case, we're talking about an animal that we know existed and was overhunted. But, but, you know, I I consider the fact, too, that if it was a very small group of survivors that possibly was not large enough or strong enough to completely repopulate, I mean, you know, that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, in this many years, why aren't they everywhere? You know, they could have repopulated. Well, you, you think about that. You know, what if there was only a half dozen that managed to truly survive? I mean, you, 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 if, if that was the case, if you could repopulate a, an entire species with just a few, then the few animals that we have that are endangered now that we have in captivity, we would be repopulating the earth with yep. them, and we're not. The Galapagos tortoise. Yeah. Think about that. You we're know. just not able to. And whether it's because they, you know, they can't mate in captivity or, or whatever, we just, we're just not able to, to build it back to where it was with the few surviving species that we know. So yeah, With their litter size being no more than four at a time. Yeah. You know, you averaged maybe one to two, but max was four. Yeah. And we, I couldn't find, maybe it's out there, but I couldn't find like their breeding cycle because some animals, you know, they don't breed every year. Like if you, if you've got a marsupial that is taking care of young and the young has to be taken care of until it's you know, two years old or something like that, then it's not going to breed every year because it still has young to take care of. Exactly. So, you know, they may only be breeding once every two to three years and you're getting maybe one to two individuals from that breeding pair. It's going to take a long time to repopulate that area with that species. Yeah. And if, if that animal only has a lifespan of, you know, at, at most six, seven probably, years. Yeah. You know, 10 years at the most. I yeah. mean, you're, you're really not even, you know, the older ones are going to die. Or, yeah. And even if they live that long, they're going to get past, you know, reproduction. Viable breeding age. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to just explode. I mean, we know we're not talking about like, like rabbits or something, you know, yeah. they're just, they're you know, these aren't aren't an animal as far as we know, you know, that that could reproduce so quickly and rapidly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is possible that if there were only a you know, a small population of survivors that, you know, they could still be out there, um, but it's still a very small population, maybe just a little bit bigger than it was thirty years ago, you know, and and that's what that's what we've got. You know, right. but, you know, but they have either adapted or in, in some cases, you know, they, they adapted early on. 
you know, to, to fill the gap that was there, um, why wouldn't they have adapted again? And, and maybe, maybe they have developed, you know, changes in, you know, in appearance, you know, changes in coloration and maybe what has been what seen, they hunt yeah that you're like well it doesn't have stripes or the stripes don't look right well you know the last one we're basing this on was you know in 1936 mm-hmm. i mean you know we're talking about a really long time ago uh, you know we're pushing closer to a hundred years right you know it's possible that this animal has has adapted and and evolved to look differently and it wouldn't take that long for um, genetics like the hair color or the habits like what it hunts and eats to change. Yeah. So it's very possible that what we know of, uh, what we know about the thylacine is wrong only because it has changed. Yeah. And it's not like just because it was an excellent predator that it was the only predator. And and that it it what it wouldn't serve as prey for something other than humans, sure. you know. So again, you you calculate that in, you know, number one, it, it it could be a good reason why you know they they didn't have a population boom, but it could also be a good reason why over decades they've evolved to be different, mm-hmm. and they survive differently. They they hunt differently. You know, so that they can avoid, you know, predation from other predators, you know, that are known to the area. Now, I'm just spitballing ideas here. I'm definitely not a zoologist of any type, (laughs) you know, but I'm just I'm I'm throwing some common sense knowledge at you. Well, we got to talk about it, because (laughs) if if the conversation is not out there, then it's not going to stay in people's minds to where they would go look for it yeah so we've got to throw ideas out there and thoughts out there and i i hope this episode helps with people being interested in the thylacine and interested in the, the search for the thylacine and you can go find a ton more um encounters than we talked about mm-hmm, for sure um just go look and and you know, if you're in Australia, Tasmania area, keep your eyes open. You That's may right. see one. That's right. Um, but, you know, as we always say, what do you think? You know, do you think it's possible that the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger has managed to survive? And we just don't have um, good evidence yet uh, of its survival and, and that it is truly not extinct uh, or, or do you think, yeah, I mean, we, we messed up as humans and we wiped out an entire species. Um, you know, we, we made a mistake, which humans do, uh, mm-hmm. and we continue to do. Um, but if you want to let us know what you think or if you, uh, you know, like Stephen, have a sighting or, or something to add, our Facebook group is the best place to do that. And you can find yep. us just by searching Graveyard Tales. Uh, you'll, you'll find the Facebook group and we have thousands of really fantastic people in this group that I I commented today. Just, it's amazing how daily the number of posts, you know, come through 
Um, you know, we have a lot of fun in there, and it's a safe place to kind of share your thoughts and experiences, and you're not going to be ridiculed or picked on or told you're crazy, right. anything like that. Um, but you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, all you got to do is search Graveyard Tales, and you'll find us there. Um, but you can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, learn a little bit about Adam and myself, um, and you can become a patron. And as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, we've got another Patreon episode that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, if you've been thinking about it and haven't pulled the trigger, please do. Um, all of those donations go directly into making the show you know, bigger and better so that we can mm-hmm. continue to push out quality content um, and, and we don't have to give you like, you know, 20 minutes of show and 30 minutes of ads. Um, right. So I, I think that's all I've got for tonight. We really we really kicked it into high gear there at the end. Yep. I mean, I could I could talk for another hour about the thylacine, but I'm not going to do that. That's right. I, I think that's all we need to cover. Yeah. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. I have a I, I have a joke, a Neanderthal joke, but this show is not political, and I'm going to let it lie. <laughs> <laughs> you can so, tell me off, Mike. Uh, so move it on.